What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Dear Culture, the podcast for by and about black culture. And today we're back with another conversation nobody asked for that we're going to give you anyway. And I'm joined again by the homie Matthew Allen. As always, I always believe that I'm right. Matthew disagree with me. What's going on, brother? How you doing today? I'm doing great, Panama. Thanks for having me on again. I'm really excited to be back. The reason I wanted to bring you back is because, you know, in our Grio universe and our family here, I view you as one of the music heads, like one of the people whose um, musical knowledge, like I genuinely respect. I get it. Like I see you, you, you see where the, you see where it's going before we even get there. Yeah. And I decided that if I'm going to have this conversation that we're going to have today, which is about whether or not Usher is an R&B legend, then I figured I should ask you, somebody who I know will have an opinion about this, who will have facts and figures, to join in on this conversation. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. You know, I want to first start off with why we're even having this conversation, so we can set the, <laughs> set the table a little bit on this. Yeah. Recently, back in June, NPR's Tiny Desk dropped a, con- dropped a concert with Usher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's filmed while he was in Washington, D.C., which is where NPR is located. Uh, he was one of the headliners for the Something in the Water Festival. So before, right after one of the rehearsals, he shot on over to NPR, recorded a six-song set that basically, in my estimation, reminded everybody that Usher is a legend at this R&B thing, right? He didn't do a song that was more recent than 2004 from his Confessions album, but everything still felt brand new. He sounded crisp. He looks as young as he ever did. And this came on the heels of what, to me, is one of the most famous verses of all time. But you know which one I'm talking about, right? We're talking Omari on Mario. It was a meme generator, a crazy meme generator. And then here comes Usher a week later and sounds as crisp and as good as ever. That's And it got me to thinking about, is Usher an actual R&B legend? And what does that even mean? Do you think Usher's an R&B legend? Yeah, not only do I think that Usher's an R&B legend, but at this point, shouldn't we start considering him to be a pop music legend too? I mean, yes, he makes R&B music, absolutely. But let's just look at the facts. I mean, the man has sold 22 million records over a period of having eight solo records. He's the last R&B artist to go diamond with confessions. He's got 25 top 10 hits on the Billboard R&B charts. He's got 15 top 10 hits on the Hot 100 charts. That's pop music, that's everything. He's got nine number ones on the pop charts. He's got 13 number ones on the R&B charts. Yeah, Burn and Confessions all in the top 10 at the same week. The boy got hits. The boy got hits. Not only is he an R&B legend, but he should be considered a pop music legend too. But here's the question. What actually makes somebody a musical legend? For me, it comes down to your impact, your influence, your sales, your relevance, your stickiness, so to speak. This NPR Tiny Desk comes out and Usher still commands like a huge audience 20 plus years after his biggest charting success ever. What makes somebody a legend to you? To me, um, what makes somebody a legend is their longevity, their ability to adjust and reinvent themselves, um, how they influence uh, future generations with their music. I mean, you can be a legend without having quote unquote hit records. I mean, Jimi Hendrix is considered a legend, but he has only one top 20 billboard hit in in America. So, you know, that's, that's, but, but it also speaks to his, you know, his longevity in terms of the influence of Jimmy on other artists. Going back to Usher, think of every R&B artist 
male R&B artists that's come after him, you know, they all, you know, benefit from his success. You know, just like he benefited from Michael Jackson's success, who benefited from James Brown's success and so on and so forth. So you have to give it up to, you know, the people that open the door just a little bit wider. And Usher has done that for so many um, hit-making R&B cats today. He's got to be considered a legend. His music is still relatively timeless. Before we get specifically into Usher, I do want to ask, you open the door here for the question that I think is important when we're establishing legendary statuses. Who else is in this legendary status tier? Like, who's there? You mentioned Jimi Hendrix. Yep. Uh, you mentioned Michael Jackson, obviously. I mean, these are like one name artists, right? Yeah. You know, it's Jimmy, it's it's Mike, mm -hmm. uh, James. You know, we, we, you know, I'm Aretha. The people like Aretha Franklin are in this in this space where yeah. they're just like legends. But who else to you, Stevie, are in? The, I, I'm taking all the choices, by mm -hmm. the way. So who else is in this this legendary category for you? Oh yeah, I mean, you mentioned them all. I mean, there's Michael Jackson, there's Prince, there's Aretha, there's Stevie Wonder, um, there's you know people like Shaka Khan. Uh, deserve to be in that category. Shaka, one name status it, too. It, Shaka it, Khan, absolutely. Exactly. Even someone like a Quincy Jones, who was a producer, but also an artist in and of himself. And there's so many of those types out today, like a Pharrell or a Kanye or a Timberland, who are producers first and sort of artists secondarily, but are considered to be artists because of their front-facing personas. So... I would put him in there too. We didn't mention Marvin Gaye, by the way. No, Marvin. By the way, yes. neither one of us said Marvin Gaye. Marvin's <laughs> in that tier. That that would be the right. We, that that would be the one thing. I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I realized we, nobody said Marvin Gaye, and that would be the kind of thing that how y'all gonna say all these names, but nobody says Marvin Gaye. <laughs> you know, Usher comes from that school, most definitely. I'm I'm not sure if I'm ready right. to put him quite in the category of a Michael Jackson. Um, or Jackie Wilson, but I would definitely put him above people like a Bobby Brown or a Chris Brown. He's definitely above people like Trey Songs, people like Neo. Messing with me with Bobby Brown, bro. This begs I the question. I love Bobby. You know, I do, Bobby but Brown. But listen. No, but Bobby Brown is like my guy. Me too. But, but, but I mean, he just I, doesn't have the, the catalog to stand yes. up with Usher. Are there contemporaries for Usher that also fit into the space? Is like, is it just Beyonce and like? Mariah Carey, or like, is that it? You know what? That's a good point. Usher is probably one of the last, if not the last, R&B male singer who has an equal male and female fan base. Most R&B male singers, most of their fans are female, whether it's Maxwell or Eric Benet or D'Angelo. Because Usher is a singer and a dancer, and you know he's a performer right. type, and he's the whole he's, package. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's hard to to mention him with other male singers during that time. So we're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk specifically about Usher, Usher's legacy and how that puts him in the legendary status. And I, I also want to get your idea about who belongs on R&B's Mount Rushmore. Right. So we're going to take a quick break right here on Dear Culture. Stay tuned. All right, we're back here on Dear Culture, where I'm here with Matthew Allen talking about whether or not Usher is a musical legend. I think we both can agree on his legendary status, but if we want to find the ways where maybe the status is questionable, we could. But I want to start on the positive side of this first. Yeah. Influentially, who do you think has taken the most from Usher's blueprint and run with it? I think Chris Brown is probably the easiest answer there because that seems, and Justin Timberlake, as far as I'm concerned, that might be a little controversial, but 
Um, who do you think? Yeah, those two specifically, I would definitely say yes. Even Neo to a smaller degree, but only to a smaller degree because of the fact that he came up from the songwriting lane. Right. Chris Brown and Justin Timberlake benefited from Usher being out there in front, being a dancer, being a singer, putting out these records and really just, you know, carrying the mantle of a Michael Jackson and a Bobby Brown who Usher cites as a very heavy influence. Of course, Justin had the benefit of riding the wave of the NSYNC fan base, but right. um, but I definitely think as a solo artist, just him being a dancer, you know, the grittiness uh, that Usher had coming from his My Ray record and videos for My Way, videos for Nice and Slow, even Drake, you know, Hold on, the video for Hold On, we're, we're Coming Home is a blatant knockoff of Nice and Slow video. All the way to the, the, <laughs> the, the, the female yeah. hostage being scantily clad in lingerie when she's being rescued. Like, it's, it's almost down to the T. Because, like you said, Usher's a pop star, right? Yes. As a pop star, you're talking performance. You're talking about largesse. You're talking about somebody who, who literally impacts. I'm gonna be burning to your so all of these artists who are huge and larger than life, from the Destiny's Child to the Beyonce's to the to the Drakes, all these folks are probably pulling from the folks that they can they can relate to, who are able to do the things on a similar stage, who have those legendary performances. Usher did this Tiny Desk concert, and I'm watching this like the fact that th these songs came out almost 20 years ago and sound as good today as they did back then. Like, I feel like you could release this album today. It still would sound really good. It still would hit the market. It would it would detonate. Yeah. That really stood out to me because I'm like, you know, that means that Usher genuinely was making timeless music. Like, you know, there are some... The, the only song I can think of on Confessions that somewhat has a um, perhaps like a datedness to it is yeah. yeah, because it was that very, you know, like Lil Jon era. Yeah. The, uh, the crunk and B. The crunk era, yeah. Yeah, the crunk and B, but it still sounds good. To, you can still play that in a club and people are still going to move to it, right? Like, it still has that feel. Because yeah, it's a singular it's a singular record. Even though it's very much time-stamped and watermarked to the era it was came, came in, I think because of the energy that Usher uh, and Ludacris brought to that song really made it stand out from songs like, you know, Get Low and Salt Shaker and all the stuff that Little John was, uh, Freak -a Leak, uh, which was originally for Usher. Which was the original yes, the Yes, Freak -a Leak right. and yeah, they, they flip-flopped. But um, if you think about all the people that he worked with, I mean, from Jermaine Dupree, Jamin Lewis, Sean Garrett, Brian Michael Cox, Just Blaze, even Robin Thicke, <laughs> they just... You know, those are songs that just will never stop sounding fresh. And I think that's what makes us, a lot of those songs, particularly the run of My Way, 8701, and Confessions, sound timeless because they were made to live forever. You Make Me Wanna is a, is a story that people go through all the time. Let It Burn is a story that people go through all the time. You Got It Bad is something that people go through all the time. And he was able to convey those so convincingly. You know, of course those songs can, can live. But, you know, after 20, 2004, yeah. Yeah, I can't really say that much about about his catalog. We're going to get to that because I think we're, we're, gonna, we're definitely <laughs> going to get to his post-confessions career. That's going to be on the other side of this combo. Mm -hmm. 
But if we if he doesn't release confessions, are we even having this conversation? Does confessions place him into that rare air that all of a sudden you have to talk about him in a different way? We talk yeah. when 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 confessions dropped, we started talking about that as our era's uh, thriller, mm-hmm. right? It was an album that was huge. It was an album that was everywhere. It went diamond, which you know, like albums weren't doing thirty and forty million the same way that you know the the bads and and those albums were doing. The rhythm nations were doing at that point but if it's not for that are we even having usher is a legendary artist conversations no i don't think so like i said going from the self-titled album with had which wasn't that huge hit but it had it was, it nice. was a nice song you know chucky thompson i'll be sure puffy and songs like think of you and then you go up a tier with my way which is a great tight nine song album you go to 8701 where he you know it was going on a peak if he doesn't do confessions and he sort of goes down then we don't talk about usher as a as a legend these are my confessions just when i thought i said all i can say my chick on the side so she got one on it's not even just yeah and burn and confessions one and two caught up you know my boo you know, you have songs right. like Simple Things and Superstar and Bad Girl, Take My Hand, Follow Me, um, Throwback, which I saw dudes with throwback jerseys and do-rags and fitted caps singing <laughs> that at Madison Square Garden like it was just the greatest thing they ever heard in their life. It was just was so crazy. Speaking of that, you know what a big struggle I have is? The version that plays on streaming services is not the version that's on the CD. The version of Throwback that you hear now when you listen to it has the Jadakiss verse on it. The, yeah. my, when I bought the album in March of 2004, it didn't have Jadakiss wasn't on it. And then it also didn't have a, My Boo wasn't on there. Like all these songs that weren't on there, which when I listen to it now, take away from it for me. A li- like the album is still flawless. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But when I'm listening to it, I get max. I'm like, no, I want the version that I heard when I bought it. The original version of this playlist. You know what I mean? If you are going to make an argument that maybe Usher isn't a legendary artist, it's this. Usher doesn't genuinely have an album we're speaking about post-confessions. Here I Stand sold, but it wasn't It wasn't on the same level as a Confessions, and maybe it couldn't be. But in terms of like the, the output, it just wasn't nearly as good. But the fact that we're still talking, Confessions was so big, it made it so maybe that's not as important. Because you still had great songs like OMG uh and climax the other potential knock and i'm curious what you think about this is at some point i feel like usher stopped creating the trend and started more or less following the trend in pop music and and r&b so to speak whereas you know i don't even know if usher was concerned about setting trends early on he was just making amazing music right but then at some point it felt a little bit like in order to keep up with the joneses on the charts and things like that a lot of his music went in that direction and that's not a knock because it was still good music it just didn't feel like he was at the front of the line so much as he was making music that that continued in what was going on what do you think about no, that? that's absolutely correct usher from a lyrical standpoint hasn't really matured beyond confessions you know he's in his early 40s and he's still singing songs that someone in their young 20s or mid 20s would still be singing he jumped on the edm train hard with, with with that versus um, project after Raymond versus Raymond with songs like the DJ Got Us Fall in Love Again. And right. even after he was about to do another album rollout in 2014, uh, he ended up scrapping the album. And then he did that 
God awful no limit song. You be my soldier, like you from the north. Make it say uh, no limit. I actually like that song. Wow. I like that song. How? It's so embarrassing. It sounded good. No, because a guy like Usher. No, that's not for him though. He's too old to be singing something Fair. that ridiculously juvenile. Lyrically, it's just no. Got that Master P go no limit, baby. Like, come on, that's so stupid. It's just, I'm, I'm okay, I mean, fair. yeah, but it sounded good. I mean, it sounded good to me. I'm just saying, to each their own. Lyrically, I'm with you. Like, it, it, it does seem like Usher should probably move into a different gear at this point. Usher perhaps would need to get heavy into his artist bag, right? Like, Absolutely. you just. You're established enough where you can do anything you want to. Those of us who are huge fans are still going to support. We're all we're always going to listen to your music because you're still here. He has a Las Vegas residency. I want to go see oh, that. Yeah. You know, I want to see Usher on roller skates getting into these songs that I know and love. You know, like he cemented his legacy. So I think at this point he can do whatever he wanted to. And I think we would still listen. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right about that. One of the reasons I have a problem with No Limit was because the songs, the singles that were coming out prior to that, were signaling to me that, oh, Usher, like when I heard uh, Good Kisser, I'm like, oh, Usher's back. This is kind of funky. And then She Came to Give It To You came out and I'm like, oh, Usher's back back with that hot Neptunes beat that sounded really danceable. Right. Then he did the back of the serial single, Clueless, that was like, damn, he is singing and this song's really great. It was just, it was like, it was about to be that mature pop funk record that I knew that he had in him after uh, albums like um, Looking for Myself and Here I Stand and all these sort of lackluster. Right. But then when he went down to No Limit, I thought he was taking a step downward to try to be with all these younger artists instead of just being artistic. Like he was playing bass on a performance of She Came to Give It To You with Nicki Minaj during an award show. I've seen him play congas with The Roots when he was at, at the Roots picnic in 2016, I'm like, this is where he needs to be. This is the space right. we need to see him in. And I think that people would ex would embrace it if he himself didn't think that he had to chase trends or chase sounds or chase hits to be relevant. I have a hot take for you <laughs> about Usher that I'm curious. I want, I want your brief thoughts on. Back in 2007, The Dream drops his first album, Love Hate. Mm -hmm. The Dream coming off these amazing songwriting credits for Rihanna's Umbrella and all like He's everywhere from Mary J. Blige. The Dream is basically boom. I love that first album, Love Hate. Genuinely love it. It has Shawty, you know, Shawty is the... Shawty you a 10. Sugar, honey, iced tea, <laughs> right. Yeah, Shawty, right. It has all these amazing songs. I wish that The Dream had given that album wholesale to Usher that literally muted all of his vocals and Usher sang that entire album note for note the way the dream did it I think that would have been another classic Usher album it would have been him setting the tone and setting the trends for the next 10 years I think Thoughts? I think musically you're on to something lyrically absolutely not it would just completely prove my point of what I was saying before falsetto no listen falsetto I love your girl falsetto, falsetto. I love your girl shorty you attend um, no. Even later... Those are amazing records. They would have been perfect. No, 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 no. Musically, yes. But for Usher, it's just, like I said, it just goes down that juvenile, lyric, lyrically juvenile rabbit hole. Like, even a song like Walking on the Moon, which was on the next Dream album. I'm like, come on, man. Yes. Musically, what he does, and especially when he and Tricky Stewart get together, it's great. But just from a lyrical standpoint, no. It would, it would have been this... I would have had the same issue. To be fair... 
at that time, Usher might not even be 30 years old. In 2007, Usher's like 28, 29 years old. Like, he's still young enough to do that kind of stuff. And because it's him, it takes it to a different level. I know. So I think he could have done Shawty as a 10. He could have done that song, and it would have been perfectly fine. No, because because look at no no I I get what you're saying, but that's only that only would have worked if he didn't have songs like "Can You Help Me," "How Do I Say Hello," and all of these songs that sounded way more mature than "I Love You, Girl" and "Falsetto" and "Walking on the Moon" and "Shorty You a 10. Those songs sound more mature lyrically and thematically than those Maybe songs, that's and that's why if he would have did those songs it would have been a, an, an issue. Because look at, like, he does songs like Little Freak problem. and Daddy's Home, and yes, they brought Usher back in terms of his hits, but to me, it was a step back. That's why I can't stand um, the Here I Stand album. It's probably his worst album, in my opinion, and, the, and, and especially because of the fact that the best song on the album, the title track, that's, the, that's exactly the type of music he should be singing, that traditional... R&B soul songs with really strong melodies that show his voice off. And that's the stuff that he needed to lean into more. The same way that Chris Brown should have leaned more into songs like Fine China when it came out, but he just went back and did trash songs like New Flame, which ironically has Usher on it. (laughs) And that's the issue with it. Like either you're going to go on a trajectory to go up, you're going to stay the same, but but don't go down. I think maybe that's the problem, right? I think Usher, right after Confessions, starts trying to get too mature, and he's too young for that. Because Confessions comes out in 2004. I mean, he's in his mid-early 20s. He's in his mid-20s. Why are you going out? Why are you going to make songs like Moving Mountains and these Here I Stand songs right after that when you're still young enough to be enjoy- like making R&B, that- especially because R&B was moving at that point. Like, the, the direction was kind of shifting into more of the club-centric type of R&B. Maybe he tried to get too mature too quickly. But... No, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't I, agree with that at all. We can agree to disagree on that one. I do want to ask you, who is on your Mount Rushmore of R&B? Does R&B include soul artists? I don't know. I'm going to let you be the, de- be the decider on who you put on yeah. this. Yeah, the distinction of what R&B is in the 70s and what soul is in the 70s, you know, it kind of gets lost of wh- what's what and which is which. Let's say R&B slash soul, um, <laughs> just for the sake. I would say Stevie Wonder. I would say Marvin Gaye. I would say Aretha Franklin, and I would say James Brown. Yeah, I would say that because so much of R&B comes out of James Brown, even though James Brown was a soul and a funk artist. Usher lacks, in my opinion, signature moments. Hall of Fame football and basketball players, they all have those signature moments. Like Michael Jordan has the the flu game, the 63 points against Boston. In terms of music, you have people like Michael Jackson. He has Motown 25. He has the Thriller video. He's got the 88 Grammys. Kendrick Lamar has the 2016 Grammy Awards. Beyonce has Homecoming and the Super Bowl. Even Chris Brown has the 2010 BET Awards. Is Chris Brown as good as Michael Jackson? Is Drake reached Michael Jackson's stats? And Usher never, is Beyonce as big as Michael Jackson or bigger? Usher's never put in those categories and he needs to be more because Usher's sold. Right, he does. Usher's more, success, more successful than Chris Brown. Usher's sold more records than Beyonce, yet he continues to not be included. These people have these quote-unquote signature pop culture moments um, that sort of transcend their artistry and also defy them as their artists in these big moments. I think Tiny Desk might be one of Usher's first big viral quote-unquote signature moments. 
I've never thought about that. And you might be right. I'm over here racking my brain trying to think of what would be yeah. one of those moments. Because I, I, I actually put the you don't have to call video to me is like such a landmark video. I kind of think mentally put it there. Like it had me buying wanting to buy Heelys <laughs> so I could like just bust out you don't have to call video moments in the middle of the street. I never did that because I was bad at the Healy thing, but. We did that in the van, right. though. Like, and when, when the song would come on in the second verse, remember he's in the video and they're all in the truck and they do like this at the certain times during the beat. Well, I think we can both agree that uh, that Usher is a legend, but you might be right. I do wonder why he doesn't end up in those conversations as much as he should, but that's that's how I even ended up here, right? Like, it's just not a conversation I hear often enough, but you know, maybe you might be right. Maybe this tiny desk is one of those things that start that that kind of gets them where people say, "But did you see that tiny desk? Do you remember that tiny desk?" Mm-hmm. The same way we talk about Coachella for a beach up Beachella for for Beyonce and stuff like that, or or Whitney Houston's uh, national anthem and those kind of things. So we're gonna take one more break here, and we're gonna come back with some of our signature segments here at Dear Culture. We're gonna get some black fashions and a black imitation. Stay tuned. You're watching the Blackest Questions podcast with Christina Greer. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of the Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. Okay, so this is a trick question. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. Beautiful. I learned a wonderful fact today. Great. So here's how it works. We have five rounds of questions about us, Black history, the whole diaspora, current events, you name it. With each round, the questions get a little tougher. Oh, you got me, you got me. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. I have no idea. I knew you were going to go there, Dr. Greer. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. We're back here, Dear Culture, with my favorite segments on this show, where we get a chance to prove just how non-monolithic black people are. Now, Matthew, you've been here before. You gave us a black commendation before, uh, excuse me, a black fashion before. And I'm pretty sure it had to do with a movie, some movie. Yes. It was something about the five heartbeats in- Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights in the five I heartbeats. said that they're overrated yes. films. I didn't say they were bad films. I just said that they're a little overhyped. You just love being wrong. <laughs> so let's see how wrong you could be today. What, what new black fashion are you bringing to the table today? All right. This is a personal black fashion, like most of these black fashions are. I don't know if it's as controversial as the last one, but I personally, like I said, I just had my 40th birthday a couple weeks ago. Happy belated. Thank you very much. And I, to this day, have never heard a single solitary album by one Reggie Noble, a.k.a. The Red Man. I don't know why. I I don't necessarily have an aversion to him. I just never got around to having any kind mm. of need to look into his catalog, despite everyone saying how dope he is lyrically. And yes, I mean, he's a he's like a great... To me, he was always like a great hip-hop character, you know, coming from somebody that loved hip-hop as a kid, took a break from it as a teenager and came back to it as an adult. Always enjoyed him as a quote-unquote hip-hop character and just his boisterous, big personality. When he worked with Def Squad, with Eric Sermon and Keith Murray, and like just some of his like scant crossover big hits like Let's Get Dirty and things like that. But I've just never had the need to want to look into his catalog hmm. like at all. But yeah, that's my black fashion. I've never heard any Red Man albums to this ever. It's interesting because I'm surprised because I know you're a hip hop. I know you're a hip hop head. Like I, we've had these conversations. 
So I'm surprised by that. But what I will say is that I never go back and listen to Redman albums either. I listen to lots of Redman songs. Like he has amazing records that I that I know and love. I still remember the first time I heard "Time for Some Action." I remember buying the tape. You're gonna have to check out at least listen to an album at some point. Yeah. Um, I, the first one is really good. The second one, you know, he got he got heavy into his production bag on on on, on later albums, but. I agree. He's a he's an amazing hip hop character. That I'll be that video is still one of my favorite videos ever. So yeah, you know, like I I, I keep hearing okay. that Muddy Waters is a classic record. So I'm like, okay, yeah. Let's go ahead and, and flip the script. And can you give us a, a black emendation for your return to this episode? Yeah, uh, for a black emendation, I'd like um, to recommend uh, an album that came out this year uh, called uh, Zeitgeist. It's an album by Elzai and Georgia Ann Muldrow. Elzai, of course, a very lyrical Detroit rapper, uh, was uh, a part of like, this, a second generation member of Slum Village. He does some really dope, dope records. I think he, he's super, super lyrical. Um, he did an amazing um, quote unquote cover album of Illmatic called Elmatic, where he had this band uh, replay live all the beats from Illmatic, and then he did completely new lyrics over it. Um, And I think that was great. That was back in 2011. And this year he did a record uh, with Georgia Ann Muldrow. Georgia Ann Muldrow is this amazing um, singer, rapper, but she's a record producer first and foremost. It's just one of the strongest hip hop records to come out in 2022, and I think that people really should look into it. That's Zeitgeist, Elzai and Georgia Ann Muldrow. And get into Georgia Ann Muldrow's catalog, you won't be sorry. All right, so I am surprised. And I have to say your black recommendation makes me more surprised about never having listened to a Redman album, <laughs> because Redman is a very lyrical rapper, and Elzai, super lyrical, I'm with you. Some of my favorite verses on random, like one-off, like albums with like uh, little brother and stuff like that, or Elza verses. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know this album existed, so I'll make sure I checked it out. So you you put me up on game. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Tell the people where they can find your work, where they can listen to things that you're doing. I know you have a podcast too, so you know, put people up on game. That's what's up. So, uh, like Panama, I write for the Grill. I'm an entertainment writer that focuses on music and culture. Big shock. You can read my stuff at the Grill. That's T H E G R I O. You can also listen to my podcast, Get Off the Fence, uh, the premier music debate podcast. Uh, where I have a guest on and we argue from one album to the next in five categories. You can go to Spotify, you can go to Apple Music, you can go to RSS feeds to look up Get Off the Fence to listen to the first eight episodes of season one. Yeah, you're gonna have to get me on that podcast so I can get off the fence about one of these albums. I don't know which one, but whenever you get whenever you get around to your next season, oh, yeah. you have to pencil me in to be one of the guests. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank you, uh, Matthew, for coming to join us today for another conversation about uh, about music. And in this case, about Usher and his legendary status. We both agree that he's a legend. How and why we get there, you know, it's... Listen, I, I, I'm glad to have this conversation with you about Usher. So, you know, we're going to run out of black fashions pretty soon because I, I don't know what... I don't know how many more you have to give, but I'm pretty sure you're going to have a couple. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but thank you, sir, for joining us here at Dear Culture. And thank you for listening to Dear Culture. Um, if you like what you heard, make sure you download the Griot's app where you can get all of the original content, uh, our written content all the podcast content, video content, everything originally from the Grio is available on the app. You can go ahead and download, download that anywhere you get your apps. Um, so you can check out all the great shows on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Uh, if you have any emails, suggestions, scams, money you'd like to send, 
Whatever you want to send over this way, I'll be happy to take it. Make sure you send it to podcast at thegrio.com. Dear Culture Podcast is an original production of the Grio Black Podcast Network. It is produced by Camille Cruz. Taji Sr. is our logistic associate producer. And Regina Griffin is our managing editor of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Make sure you continue to check out Dear Culture episodes. Have a black one.